Foxley is all about helping people to feel confident in dealing with difficult customers, build trust and strong relationships. In this podcast, we talk to talented people to share insights and tips on how they do it. Welcome to Thinking Outside the Fox. This week on Thinking Outside the Fox, I've got Emma Hatto joining me. Emma's an experienced business leader with a focus on business development teams. She's worked in technology and recruitment through her career. And in 2014, she launched Bauer, placing candidates into tech and finance businesses. And she also launched Eyeball, a pay-as-you-go virtual assistant platform. And today, Eyeball still functions as a fully automated platform. Emma is passionate about changing the way businesses use data to make better people decisions. And she was one of the first to launch Thrive back in 2014. 2020, and now she heads the commercial side of the business. It's great to have you on the podcast, Emma. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Chris. Tell us a little bit about tell us a bit about Thrive and um, what what the organisation does and and what your philosophies are. Yeah, sure. So, um, all stems from humans being um, complex beings, um, and also being every company's biggest asset. And what we're looking at here is if you can't measure your assets, then how do you find ways to improve it? So essentially, we are a a technology platform and we help businesses be more data-driven in the decisions that they make about their people. There's two ways that they can do that with Thrive. So they can assess the candidates coming through their pipeline to understand really kind of the behaviours that are driving um, their performance. And the second way is they can use it to really understand their employees. And again, what is it that's driving the performance of those employees? What makes them tick? And how do we use that information throughout the employee's life cycle? Um, the reason that sort of Thrive was, was born was that all of this is quite difficult to access. Um, it's very scientific and therefore lots of, kind of large enterprise businesses use it in kind of consultancy formats where people come into their business, really analyse their, their people and then give them data to be able to make changes and improve the overall performance of the, the team or the, the company. What we realised is that kind of those mid-market companies didn't have access to this and therefore they struggled to be able to make changes and also struggled to be able to hire the best people into their organisation. And we wanted to come into that market and be able to give them access to that same quality of science and data and rigour that the more enterprise businesses had, um, but in just a very easy to, to use platform that you can kind of switch on anytime you need it. So it's to democratise access to insights around your your people. Yeah, exactly. And and we can sort of go into those two ways in, in a bit more detail. But if we take it from a recruitment perspective, you have your candidates that are applying for, for roles. They go through rounds of interviews. We as humans make decisions on, on those people based on that process. And that process is entirely subjective. And often it leads to us making big hire mistakes. And we've calculated it as anything between 35 and 50,000 pounds to get one higher wrong. If you're a small or a medium-sized business, that's a huge effect on the on your bottom line, but also on your, your team. So what we want to do is be able to really understand whether this person has what it takes to do the role properly, not just from a experience point of view, but also looking at their personality, looking at their cognition, and then benchmarking that against other people doing the same job to say, does this person really have what it takes to, to be successful? And if the answer is yes, you're making a much more objective de- decision. 
Yeah, and I, I've seen this from firsthand. I've worked with a number of clients over the years who are small businesses, and I have seen the impact of poor hiring choices where they've mm. had people enroll um, for six or nine months. And, there's, you know, the impact is on the culture of the organization. They, they had to deal with what then became high turnover because people were leaving because um, they weren't suited in the role. There was an impact on their performance because the business wasn't selling accounts and deals that they should have been selling because they had the wrong people in the role. Um, and the impact was then, of course, a cost base, that they were spending money on salaries and recruitment and, and, and time on for people that was then a waste because they had to start again. It was it was unproductive. So I've very much seen that. And, and I've also used Thrive as part of the assessments that I use with clients. And I've found it, one of the things I like about it is how easy it is to see the reports and to get those insights into people's preferences. And it's definitely stimulated some really fascinating conversations with people that I've had. Great. Yeah. And, and that's kind of just part, part of this. Yeah, the second part is then what happens after uh, that employee, that person is actually employed. And um, I was listening to one of your other podcasts with Gary Armstrong um, on the subject of motivation. And he very much talks about how important it is to understand that candidate's motivation. And, and that could be anything from a culture point of view, or it can be, you know, what goals they're trying to achieve in, in their career, all the way through to kind of seeing them through their employment at, at the company. And it's important to know that our preferences and our behaviours change when we're um, going through our career. So what I like to do now could be quite different to what I like to do at the beginning of my career. Um, and there's lots of different reasons for that. But as an employer, we don't always know that our, our employees' behaviours are changing. Um, and therefore, we don't know how to be able to lean into to that or to be able to offer them kind of development for any areas that they might be lacking. And all of this is obviously affecting not only that individual's performance and, and how engaged they are in, in the business, but it also affects the, the wider business and the performance of, of that team. So we're also tracking then that candidate who you've hired uh, through their employee lifecycle, how their behaviours are changing, how they feel about the, the culture of the business and how they fit into that to then be able to give data back to, to businesses to say, now that we know this, we can spend time on an individual basis with this person. And even we can spend time with the team to say, if you focus on these two, three areas, this is going to improve the, the performance of that team. Yeah, and it's interesting you referenced the conversation I had with Gary Armstrong about that, about people's motivations and understanding the candidate. And it also reminds me of an episode that we had with Christina and Christina was talking about how she had changed her career. She started off in human resources and then moved over to commercial. And it very much feels like the same journey of understanding that she, at one point, obviously, she's very motivated by human resources. And then later in her career, wanted to get into commercial. That's quite a big leap to make. And without having some tools of understanding what people are thinking, feeling, what their preferences are, where their motivations are today, it's... You can, you can ha- you can't help people make those moves, can you? No, absolutely. And you can spend time looking at somebody's kind of skill sets and and how well they're doing within that. But it can be very frustrating for everybody involved if you have people within a team who just aren't performing because they're 
personality traits and the behavior just don't align to, to that particular role. And, you know, maybe they've come out of university and they've been told to go down a, a particular career path or they've just fallen into that, that role. Um, and that doesn't mean that that's something they should be doing forever. So being able to track that even from your own personal point of view, not even thinking about it from a business point of view, but for taking a step back and thinking, okay, this is how I like to work. This is the job that I have in hand. It doesn't really align. You know, what can I be doing to um, that will be better for me kind of long term and, and using that understanding to then be able to, to drive your career in the, the right direction. Yeah, and I think this understanding matters a lot for managers. I work a lot with people around culture of performance. And when people talk about culture of performance, they often focus on objectives, goals. How are we progressing in our current role right now? And then how are you feeling? But this adds another total different dimension to really understanding where people see themselves, what they love doing. And um, I remember talking to a guy a couple of years ago who was in lead generation. He just joined, come from university, relatively new, all about lead generation. And he was doing a pretty good job in lead generation. And the obvious progression through technology organizations is then to get into to sales and becoming the, you know, the kind of an account director or, or into a hunter role and trying to close new business. And his energy just wasn't there. He was much more interested in operational effectiveness and, and sales operations. And um, actually, we did a Thrive assessment with him, and that's what came back. He was much more focused on that. And he did move into a sales operations role. Now, that was a role that didn't even exist in the company. And then they found somebody who was a good performer in their organization, who was dedicated to being successful, who had a passion for it. And he went and he set up and automated a lot of their email campaigns and um, you know, really got into the detail of helping their sales operations. And, and it didn't cost them anything in recruitment and actually engage somebody who may well have been pushed down a path he didn't really want to go down. Yeah, I think you see that time and time again. And I, unfortunately, I've probably seen it in my, my own time where people have ended up leaving a business because there hasn't been that opportunity for them to move into something that they're more suited to. Um, and um, you're right, I've, I've worked with plenty of salespeople who are much better in an operational role than they would be in that account management piece. Uh, but they just haven't had the chance to, to do that because nobody's actually looking at why that's the case. They're unfortunately looking at their KPIs and the fact that they're not hitting those KPIs and everything comes down to the numbers and, and that's what performance means. And we're not understanding that person at all because we're not understanding what's motivating them and, and what's driving them to, to be successful. And, and if we actually took a step back and, and looked at that, we'd be able to see this person is more analytical or... Um, very open to, to changing new processes rather than being somebody that's super persuasive and results driven etc which obviously would make them better in, in that kind of more go-getting sales role yeah so while we're on the subject of talking about people and and getting these beneath the surface of who they are and, and what they've achieved I'd love to talk a little bit about you and your journey to to where you are in this in this role Emma yeah it's a uh, pretty um, interesting in, in my mind in terms of the way that I got here because uh, I've sort of moved around a, a fair amount into different sort of industries throughout my career so far and it really started with the, at the beginning of my career. I was 19, I just came back from 
traveling abroad. I didn't go to university and I came to London to get myself a job and everyone turned me away because I didn't have a university degree and I had no experience. At the end of every interview, I'd ask people, are you going to hire me? And they would say, mm, we're seeing other people, they've got more experience than you, so it, we, we probably won't because of that. And I would ask the question, how was I ever going to get an experience if no one's going to give me a shot and, and try, try and give me a go? Um, and so it was, it was hard to navigate those, those interviews. And it almost became a bit of an obsession that I became fascinated with how businesses approached their recruitment. I saw these people that weren't experienced, that weren't HR people taking interviews and, and obviously just hiring people that they, they liked and that looked like them, sounded like them. And I almost wanted to prove to myself that I could get any job out there and jump through all of the hoops that any company put in place for me to, to get that job. Um, and even though on paper, maybe it probably wasn't, I didn't have the right experience for. So that's kind of how my career started. Um, I then decided that I wanted to do it myself and I uh, started my own recruitment company, which is Bauer. And I really did that to challenge the, the way businesses recruited their staff by using different methods outside of just experience. We stripped away CVs. Uh, we did things like take names of CVs as well. And we used things like skills-based assessments and, and cognitive testing to be able to prove that these people could do the job. And it just opened up a completely different conversation for candidates going into those interviews. And it meant that people who would never have got that interview in the first place or never got that job in the first place ended up in, in roles that they, they were really, really good at. And we gained a reputation for, for doing that um, at Bauer. And then who comes knocking on the door but the you know, the founder of Thrive saying, this is a new business that we're about to launch. We're looking at testing, bringing that into the, the SME world. And it, it almost just felt like it was, it was fate to be able to then come in and launch this business where I could educate and we could educate businesses to be more objective, be more bias-free. And if I'd had access to Thrive back in my, my Bauer days, then, you know, that would have been amazing for, for us. But also, if all the companies that I knocked on the door of when I was 19 also had it, there's probably a chance that I would have got that first job that I went for. Yeah, I remember my first interview. I can just sympathise with you so much, Emma, there. And, and, and first of all, I admire the attitude of, well, no one's going to employ me, so I'm going to start myself. I mean, seriously, that's courage. And you, you definitely um, need a lot of recognition for that level of courage and, and foresight to say, well, if no one's going to employ me, I'm going to go and do it myself. So first of all, amazing. My Quite first myself. ever job interview, <laughs> well, my first ever job interview, um, I went to be, I'd, I'd been playing rugby for a few years and then needed to grow up and get a job and earn some real money. And I um, I remember going to a, an airport hotel near Manchester to have an interview with a recruitment agency to get into pharmaceutical sales. And I had my suit on and I was very, you know, pleased with how I looked and my shiny CV. And, and I walked through the door and I did my interview. And at the end of the interview, the recruiter said to me, um, no one's ever going to employ you. You're never going to get into this industry. And and I just remember sitting there thinking, like, why are you saying this? And it was all about, oh, well, you don't have enough experience and the industry's looking for people with experience and, and the same similar kind of story that you had. Um, and, and I find it fascinating because I'm very much a believer in what you do. And 
so many things that I'm passionate about are meritocracies. So, you know, the sporting world where I'd come from is a meritocracy. It's all about performance. It's about what you do. It's not about what you say you can do. And yet we have this industry or industries that you go to an interview and as long as people like you, in inverted commas, and I use the word that you you chose earlier on of, you know, oh, people that liked you, that look mm. like you, that are, you make you feel comfortable or are familiar to you, um, who can say the right things, who have, you know, uh, uh, um, some qualifications on their on their CV. Those are the people that are getting recruited, and not the people who are the best at their job, their best performers. And I've designed a couple of assessment centers for clients over the years and my favorite one is a one that we, we're running regularly at the moment for entry level I mean this is entry level telesales roles and the client that I'm working with has asked me to create a, a, a sales scenario where I'm the customer and they have to sell me a product and their stage of the interview is let's just watch you do this we're going to watch you for 10 minutes, talk to a customer, how would you do it? How would you prepare for it? Um, And they use that as a guidance. Their success rate for recruiting people has become phenomenal because Mm. the the people that they thought were going to be good because they say the right things have been average. And they've been really surprised by a couple of people that have really demonstrated great capabilities. And that to me is just the essence of really understanding what people can bring to your organization. Yeah, I actually have a similar story with a, with a customer that uses Thrive. Um, they are also hiring telesales people. And they realized that they're quite industry specific. They were only hiring salespeople from that industry and they had this huge recruitment drive and they, they knew that they wouldn't be able to just go and find other people within in the market. So they had to broaden their horizons and really think about where else can we find this talent. So they opened up uh, the candidates in hospitality and retail sales and started to really look outside the box and I think where, where can we get these people from? But then they had the problem of how do we know whether they're going to be any good at the job? Yes, we can put those those styles of assessment centers together, but really as a sort of first stage, let's see, do they have the right cognition? Are they good communicators? Can they think logically? Can they problem solve? Um, do they then also have the right personality traits in terms of their drive and their results focus and, and that passion and energy? And so they use Thrive to, to understand that right at the beginning, they managed to filter out candidates, obviously, that, that didn't have that, but they had this huge success story of all these people don't have any industry experience. That's all we've ever hired for with before. We've got all this great talent, all this diverse talent now coming into the business. Uh, their, their retention rates have shot up and it's just really helped reduce, one, reduce that time to, to hire those people, which they could have spent you know, a really long time speaking with. And two, you know, getting that diversity into the team. And then thirdly, those retention rates going up. It's, it's been a great, great case study to, to see how this has worked. Yeah. And I'm really fortunate that, and I guess you're in the same position, that you work across industries. And when you work across industries, you get to see um, the challenges that different industries face. And there are so many industries that I've worked with who always take pride in how different they are. And how they, you know, you need to know our industry, you need to know the way that we do things, otherwise you're not going to be successful. 
And many of these industries limit themselves and candidates and talent to people who've got experience within that industry. And what I see is that the challenges they face are all the same. And everything that they think is specific to them is not specific to them. It's it, there may be regulations, there may be policies, there may be technical things that you need to understand, but all of those things are learnable. And, and actually getting somebody from a, with a different perspective and a different type of experience can break down barriers that you just, you know, people who have grown up with those barriers don't understand. They don't understand how to break them because they, they never, you know, they, they're always there. Yeah, I love that in a team as well. I've got that in my team at the moment. I've got so many different types of people from a, you know, we're obviously personality profiling, but I don't have everybody in one box. And you might look at a sales team and say, everyone has to be an extrovert. They all have to you know, have that, that particular personality trait. But that doesn't show me how successful they're going to be. I need people that have all these different strengths and can come at different problems in different ways. And I love to see the the kind of debates that go on in the team as to how to, to solve those problems because they do all have these different strengths that they can, can bring. And sometimes when somebody's uh, trying to deal with something and, and it's not something they can they can deal with themselves, they've got other people that they can, they can turn around to and talk to. And if we're all the same, we've all got the same skill set and we all have the same personality, then you know, that we're not going to be moving very, moving fast, forward very fast. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big um, advocate of conflict in not in, in not in conflict sense but in terms mm. of teams and there's a lot of research in this that looks at um, when you think about productive teams there's a there's an instinct that says teams that get along well that that communicate well that talk about ideas and agree with each other and build on each other's ideas are going to be more productive but the research says that the most productive teams are the ones who disagree with each other because it's through the disagreement that you, you're you forced to rethink your idea. You're forced to see it from a different perspective. And that's where you can actually come up with more ideas. And I think more teams should be searching out for people who are slightly different, who've got that different perspective, that different point of view, and are prepared to have a conversation, be open-minded to it, yeah, be respectful around it, but have a conversation about why we should, why I disagree with this approach, um, because you, in the end, you're going to get a better answer. Yeah, I totally agree. One of our values at Thrive is that we learn faster through feedback, and that means that anybody should be able to give feedback to, to anybody, and it doesn't matter whether it's a junior person that walked in the door a month ago talking to the CEO if they believe that you know, something they said on, on a call might be different to how they'd say it or they, they've learned something from our psychology team in, in the last week that that person doesn't know you know they should be able to give that feedback and, and I love to see that conversation happening in the office and, and virtually. Yeah I want to go back Emma to something you mentioned uh, much earlier in the conversation the way you described employees you describe them as an asset and I loved it um, and I, I was watching something online recently which was talking about how um, what assets are and they they were talking about how the bank allows you to talk about your house as an asset but an asset is something that generates value for you generates income it's not just something that you own and 
And when you described assets and employees as assets, I, it just lit me up because that's exactly what it is. People who are tr- delivering value for your organization are your assets. And I don't think organizations really see them that way, especially, and we're hearing it in the news a lot at the moment around technology uh, layoffs and people being cut from work and and cost saving and, and reducing the number of people in their headcounts. And, you know, it seems to be the first thing that happens. I don't know if it is, but it seems to be the first thing that happens when organizations are under pressure, let's get rid of our people. Um, they don't get rid of their property because they see property as an asset. And I wonder if on the balance sheet, when if if they start saying this is not a cost, i.e. salaries, this is an asset, this is us bringing in expertise and experience into the organization, that would transform how leadership see their people and when they're, when they're prepared to make changes. Yeah, absolutely. It's been proven, hasn't it, that we don't actually need property to, to run a, a business anymore. This, that can all be done virtually, but we do know that we need people to be able to, to do that. So um, to be successful in our business, and there's so much talent locked into your, to your organisation and so much value that comes from that talent. If you take that away, whether it's one or two people or a whole team, then you're, you're losing so much of, of that value of that, that business in, in my eyes. And and that's why it's important to, to get it right but in the first place. But also, once you've got those people there who are your valuable assets to look after them, and that doesn't mean you know make sure that there's tea ready for them and, and those sorts of things. Yes, you have to create a nice environment for them to, to work in, but you also have to make them feel that they, they are valued. And so much of that comes down to the culture of the organisation and, again, checking in on how people are feeling about that because, again, things change. And we've seen it over the last few years, how, how much it's changed and you know how people are now working from home or that they um, might have different managers or they, they might not see people as, as regular, regularly as they did. And therefore, how people feel about the culture of the organisation has changed so significantly. We're still expected to do the same work. We're still expected to you know, have the same output. But often it can be difficult for us to, to do that because our working environment has changed so much. And I think people haven't, real businesses haven't really thought about you know, how that has affected uh, the performance of, of their people. I absolutely agree, and I, I was just going to say, let's. We've talked a little bit about recruitment and how how Thrive helps you understand candidates from a recruitment perspective. I'm fascinated to talk about culture and how you help understand culture. Yeah, so it's pretty simple to be honest, in, in terms of how we we do it. So we have four different pillars that we can survey your employees on. And those four pillars are how engaged they are in the in the organisation and understanding the values of, of the business and why they're they're there and why they are valuable. Their well being, so how how they're feeling. Um, also their the retention so are they thinking about looking at other jobs are, are they concerned about the business and where the business is and is that making them think about leaving and then also that important topic of remote work readiness so do they feel that they've got what they need to be able to, to do that if you are a remote working business they're four very hot topics but they're also three of them have been hot topics for a very long time but we haven't actually always spent time asking our employees this and for me, if you run behaviour assessments and you profile people and you support them with their learning and development, that's all well and good because it's going to help them stay engaged and it's going to help them know more about themselves and it's going to help managers be able to deal with teams better. 
there's kind of no point doing that if you're not creating an environment that people can, can work well in. So that understanding that culture is is really important to be able to then be able to support those employees with their performance. And we've seen through lots of businesses that have been using the Thrive platform to understand their culture, some really interesting case studies and stats that have come up from, from this and Often it's quite difficult to identify things like problems in the leadership team or why retention um, is so is so low. And these culture surveys are, are really digging into that and giving you data to say, this is the areas that you need to focus on. This is why and this is how you do it. And if you spend time doing that, then you're, you're going to be able to create a nice environment for your employees to perform better. So culture surveys are definitely in vogue at the moment and i've worked in organizations where uh, and, and going back 15 20 years they did temperature checks and culture requests and stuff um is it now becoming actionable because i'll be honest i talk to people a lot and they say to me oh you know we had a culture survey and you know nothing's changing or we know ne- we don't expect anything to change and um, and leadership teams, management teams who are measured on culture and therefore they, you know, they, they kind of try and engineer it, but they, anything that seems a bit difficult, they, they avoid. And so there's a kind of politics around it. Are you seeing people using your platform to understand and genuinely make changes to improve? Yeah, absolutely. So that transparency and communication are absolutely critical in any survey initiative. And you know, the, the whole point at the beginning is why are we are we doing this? And it's important for employees to, to understand that. Um, when it comes to the results, employees um, have sort of certain survey domains um, that we that we rate, and what we do at Thrive is we offer specific and practical recommendations to put in place at a team or an organizational level. So it's not just saying, this is the feedback, go away and do what you, you like with it, and employees are still frustrated and nothing actually gets done. We've actually built into the platform advice as to what you should be doing to then improve that culture. We then suggest, especially if it's a pro- problem area, to survey that group of employees regularly, so three every three, every six months. And if nothing's changing, then the reason for that is because the organisation's not doing anything to, to put those actions in place. So, you know, for an, from an employee point of view, they can, they can see that data and they can see what the organisation has promised to, to do. But it's keeping it simple as well. You know, it's not lots of information that a psychologist is coming in and telling you to do and it's difficult to, to improve. You know, it's through a technology platform, so it's simple, actionable feedback that any business can take on board. And and just touching on that element of remote working, it's really, um, again, important at the moment as organisations are coming through post-COVID, there was a sense, if you went back two years, that we're all going to be working from home from now on, the world is changing. And I'm hearing more and more now of people who are being, inverted commas, forced back into the office or organisations who are saying now we expect people to be back into the office. Um, are you seeing things change with regard to attitudes to remote working from a from an organisation perspective? And is that affecting morale or are you seeing people comfortable with how the world is evolving? I see it from both sides and I myself particularly see it from a talent perspective that 
we are seeing candidates don't want to be in office full time and we are back in the office three to four days a week and we definitely miss out on talent in the market because they want to be at home for the majority of the time. So I think that businesses are having to, to cope with that and be able to be more flexible in terms of their, their hybrid models. I think when it comes to the culture of, a, of an organisation and people being forced back, I, I think that you can't do that without speaking to, to your employees when you've been at home for that amount of time, you've been forced to be at home, then you have to take that sort of step-by-step process into, into coming back. And that's why it's important to, to do these surveys to make sure that people feel comfortable in, in, in doing that and making sure that it's been done in the, the right way. I would say that the majority of the businesses that are using Thrive to understand this they're seeing the results that say that actually people do want to, to be back and that people find it finding it difficult to be at home, not just from a um, for, for their own kind of mental health and, and those types of reasons, but just because they just don't feel that they're getting things done as much as they, uh, they're not as productive as they, they were previously. So we're definitely seeing that the results coming back are, are suggesting that remote working, it will still always be there, but it, it won't be as, um, as much as it has been. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm noticing in terms of how people are working. There's certain things that work very well when you're at home. Um, you can do one-way communication, i.e. you can deliver a presentation to people and they can listen and engage. But creative thinking is harder to do when you've got people remote. And you can do it with smaller groups, but it's it's you know, it becomes harder. Um, just going back to where we started, I guess, in in the conversation was around talent on a CV, so qualifications on a CV. And I, I do find it a frustration of mine that you, we add location into this effectively. Mm. If you are if you base your office in a certain area and then you say, I want people who have got this qualification, who've got this level of experience. Oh, and by the way, also live within 30 minutes effectively because you've got to come in every day of this office. You're actually making it hard for yourself, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. And and why would you stop yourself from having access to talent that's that's elsewhere in, in this world? And at Thrive, we have a we have there's a lot of people that are in the office, but we have technology people in Argentina, we have psychology teams in, in Brighton and um, else and in Spain. It doesn't stop us from from doing you know from driving our, our, our business forward but it has to be done in in the right right way and I think it also depends very much on on the the role and, and the teams you know if you've got junior people that aren't learning because they're at home and they don't they're not listening to, to what's going on and that's difficult but I think when you're really thinking about you know what talent you want in the organization you'd be silly to to think about people that are just half an hour away yeah, absolutely. I think it's about um, understanding, again, understanding people and where they are in, in their career and where they're trying to get to and what motivates them. I, during lockdown, a client of mine, uh, one one guy in the team was a real people person. He just could not cope with being at home on his own all the time. Some of the other people were okay with it. They were less... You know, they were perhaps more independent, more introverted um, and didn't feel the need to be in that office. And they actually started, um, they, they opened a Google Meet between them. And so when they weren't on a call with a client or a customer, they just had their basically their screen there and they could talk to each other. So, you know, if they're on 
you know, on writing an email, they still had other people around as if they were in the office to try and help this sense of being part of a group and having others around you. And I thought that was a really creative and sympathetic and empathetic way to operate given the limitations that we had. And I think it it did force people to be a bit more creative. But it, that also came from understanding him, that it wasn't just him saying, I want to get back in the office. It was him saying, actually, I need people. I just need somebody that I can talk to <laughs> during the day. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, uh, the other business that I'm involved in, which is the, the virtual assistant platform that, that we run, that believe it or not, happened before the pandemic. It was around way before that. And and it was born out of the fact that there was all these businesses who needed access to really good quality talent and all this talent out there who wanted these great jobs and had been maybe in the city, but now were yoga instructors or they were parents or we've got people who are, we've got a couple of DJs that, that work with us. And, you know, they're all looking for, for good quality work and want to work with great businesses, but they just can't do it nine to six in, in an office and it, that's where that business stemmed from but part of that is how do you make sure that these people can work in an environment where they're not speaking to, to people um, all day and every day they might never even meet the person that they they work for face to face you know in person it might all be done online and we've created some great kind of groups and environments for those people to, to get together and and feel that they're part of a team even though they're at home or abroad or wherever it might be doing doing that work and I, I love that because I, I really think it's such a shame when you don't access that talent or, and that talent doesn't get to showcase their talent and, and work in highly skilled roles because they've decided to have a change in, in lifestyle. Yeah no I totally agree totally agree and, I, I, and it's very much the philosophy that I use within Foxley is find the people and we then find a way of working with them and, and connect into expertise it's the expertise that I want more than I than than anything else, and there's always a way to communicate to make things happen. And and we work with clients in all different parts of the world, in all sorts of different types of industries. I've got partners who do a range of different things. Some of them I've never met. Um, and you know, and and to me, it's about bringing in the expertise and bringing in the knowledge when you get there. I also have to call out your your visionary status there, Emma. If you've you created this platform way before COVID was a thing, and and you went to the virtual world ahead of everybody. Two thousand sixteen, <laughs> definitely ahead of of everybody else. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see how people's mindset has shifted working <laughs> in the virtual worlds post uh, pandemic than yeah before. So final question, just to understand a little bit more about you, Emma, tell us a little bit about what advice you would give to a 12-year-old you. Oh, so what advice would I give myself? I'd tell myself not to be so impatient to grow up. Enjoy the teenagers more because life definitely becomes harder as you get older. I've always been so impatient just to get on and do the next thing and improve myself. Um, I'd also tell myself that while it's good to be competitive and always want to get ahead, that pushing back, saying no, managing up and down can sometimes be more beneficial to you rather than burning yourself out. I really wish that I could turn around and tell my 12-year-old self that. I think it would have definitely changed the way I might have done things in, in my career so far. So is that because you you challenged things that you probably didn't need to challenge? I think I've always just taken 
everything that I could possibly do on and think this is something that I can do. I don't I don't necessarily need other people uh, around me. I just want to get there and, and get ahead. And what, what I've learned is that it's so great having a really great team, whether that's, you know, people that work above you or next to you or, or you know, your, your team coming up with you, then, you know, you've got all these people and all this resource and all this talent that we're talking about. It doesn't just have to be you that has, you know, that's driving, driving that. And I think that's a really important lesson to learn. Yeah. I agree. It's hard for me to agree because I'm also very impatient. And I have to say that I believe that it's a lot of stuff that's happened in my life is because I wasn't prepared to wait for stuff to happen. I decided to go do stuff. Sounds yeah. a little bit like you've had the same experience, but I have to agree that pa- pa- there are times where patience would have helped a lot. Yeah, I think it's also just about working with the with the right people and, and having those right people around you. And, you know, it's, it's not all about you doing it yourself. Those, those people will, will support you with that. Cool. It's lovely to have chatted to you, Emma. As ever, we've run out of time, but thank you very much for joining us and, and sharing your insights and experience. Tell us how people can find Thrive, more information about Thrive and, and get in touch with you. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn at Emma Hatto. I think I'm one of the only ones on there, so quite easy to find. And we're at thrivetech.co if anyone would like to jump on the website and take a look at what we do. But yeah, be happy to have a chat. Beautiful. Thanks very much. Thanks, Chris. That was Thinking Outside the Fox with me, Chris Weber. Our next episode is out in two weeks. Join us for more great conversations on how to build winning customer relationships. I'm looking forward to it.